Welcome to the online teaching ministry of Pastor Rob Ginter and Farmdale Baptist Church. For more content, visit us online at farmdalebaptist.com. You know, my generation is famous for all kinds of things. But sadly, one of those things is many of us aren't raising our own kids. The baby boomers ahead of us are the ones raising those kids. Um, And grandma has to assume the double role of both grandma and mom. And papa or grandpa has to be grandpa and dad at the same time. Because they seem to be good at populating, but not raising. Because there is one thing to have kids, and there is another thing to raise kids. I heard somebody talking about that this week, that uh, parenting indeed, my friends, is hard. Parenthood is the scariest hood that you ever went through, as some, a sign I saw somewhere once said. Why? Because it can get messy and dirty, and you can't kind of halfway do it. You have to be all in in it. Now, that is a sad estimation of maybe a caricature, right? Not everyone is, is doing that, but that happens. And praise God for the grandparents who step in and overcome uh, the sin of their children on behalf of their grandchildren. So praise God for the people that, that, that do that kind of thing, uh, that pick up the slack and take care of it when it needs to be taken care of. Someone has to do it. But it's in that same sentiment that um, as people in the church, we cannot just be people who go about on Jesus' mission and desire to do outreach, to bring people in to the church, to populate the church without bringing them in in a way that raises them up. We can't just bring people in. We have to raise those people up. We can't just reach out because here's the messy thing about reaching out to Jerusalem, Judea, uh, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. What starts running around in your church are... uh, people who look different than you and act different than you and have different customs than you do and they violate your preferences and you get angry at them for being different than you. Let me tell you a story. There was this one conflict that I saw between a Marine, a Master Gunnery Sergeant, and and let's call him a rocker. The rocker comes into the church wearing his hat with his tattoos on his arms and the, the, the Marine, Master Gunnery Sergeant, Lifetime, USMC, Semper Fi, Uh, looks at this young rocker and says, take your hat off. We don't wear hats here in church. And the the young guy doesn't really understand what what that has to do with anything, so he just keeps going. And the Marine, once again, son, get that hat off. You're in church. The rocker doesn't understand. What is this? this?" And he goes on. Swear word. Get that hat off. You're in church. Let me tell you who lost. Everyone, everyone lost in that conflict. Everyone. Was it a sin for the kid to wear the hat in church? Anybody know? 
No. But what happened there? He violated the preference of the master gunnery sergeant. He violated his preference. And we, we had, were reaching out strategically at this men's meeting to people. And one of them we brought in didn't know the customs. So there started the conflict. And let me say that we cannot be like that. We cannot do like that. When we reach out, we will bring in and we have to do something with these people. Other than get angry at them for violating our customs and drive them out because they don't wear, take their hats off when they walk into a room like us. Or they look different than us. We can't do that. Can't be like that. So, what we see here in Acts chapter eleven is not is not just that we ought to reach out to these people, but we ought to bring them in and do something with them. Because last week we saw that God offers no distinction in His offer of the gospel, and neither should we. Right? God's going to offer this gospel out to the entire world to people who don't look like you, vote like you, smell like you, like the things that you like. Say like every other word, like you know, like you know, like what I'm saying. Like they're going to do that, and it's going to get on your nerves. God's going to offer the gospel to people that get on your nerves, and He has plans to reach people who bother you. He does. He's going to do that. So the question is, are you going to be ready? Are you going to be focused? Are you going to to raise to bring these people in, welcome them in, disciple them up? Are you going to do that? Or are you just going to toot the horn of Jesus' mission of reaching people until we're face-to-face with people that get on our nerves and bother us? It's not difficult to wrap our mind around that the gospel should go to every sexual and sin-oriented person, regardless of their skin or sin preference. It's not difficult for us to wrap our minds around that. Reaching all those people sounds good and biblical. It does. But let's up the ante a little bit with what we see in Acts chapter 11 today. What do you do with them after they receive Christ? What do you do with them when God reaches them with the gospel through you or through somebody in this church? What do you do after that? Let's look and see the two elements of that in this passage. So we see the first two congregations in the New Testament and what it looked like for them to reach out and live out the mission Christ gave them in the Antiochian and Jerusalem church. So this is a tale of two congregations that we see. So in chapter 11, Peter returns home to Jerusalem after reaching Cornelius and the Holy Spirit going to the Gentiles and probably really excited that God did all that. This is how he's going to reach the ends of the earth. Look, I had this conversation with Cornelius and he comes back to some grumpy old criticizing Nobody does anything good in their eyes, group of people in the church. He returns home and gets criticized by the people in the church for breaking the Jewish food laws and eating with non-Jewish people. This this would have certainly been disheartening. Verse 1 said that when the Jerusalem church heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God, some of the, the first reaction was criticizing Peter for being there in the first place. In the context of Luke, when he says they received the word of God, it means they believed Jesus for salvation. 
But they were more concerned with Peter eating with people who were unclean instead of those people knowing Christ. This is troubling and comforting. Both of these things are troubling and comforting for us. Why is it troubling? Well, first, these people were more concerned about violating of rule, their preferences than the souls of lost people. That's troubling. That they were more worried about their preferences than the souls of lost people. That's troubling. Why, what, where, what's comforting? What's comforting? Where's the comfort? The comfort was, is for us that we weren't the first people who worried about that. We weren't the first people who did that. That, that fought and clawed and argued and complained and criticized for our own preferences instead of the concern about lost people in the church. We weren't the first. It's troubling that it ever happens. It's comforting that we weren't the first to do it. So they do this, and the first problem in verse 3 is that he went to uncircumcised people. Worse than that, he ate with uncircumcised people. And like many traditions, this one was developed by a misunderstanding of Scripture and what God intended for his law to do. So Peter defends himself in verses 4 through 17 in this passage by telling us again of the story of God's command in his vision and the Gentile conversion and the reception of the Holy Spirit. Now, we didn't hit too hard on this, but verse 15 recounts that when the Holy Spirit fell upon them, back in chapter 10, Luke recorded that the Holy Spirit fell upon them and they began to speak in other tongues or languages. And they were extolling God. Why does something like this happen? And he says, Peter's telling them here in, verse, in chapter 11 that the Holy Spirit fell on them like at first, like it did to us. And what is he talking about here? Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came like cloven tongues of fire on the believers and they began to speak in languages that they didn't know. And they began to preach and they heard the words of God in their language. So why would, why would there be another Pentecost? You'd think that that was just one moment in time in which that people spoke in, in, in tongues and the gospel went out to languages that they didn't initially know. Why would that happen again? Well, here in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11 is what we call the Gentile Pentecost. And why was there a Gentile Pentecost? To show us and them that God gives his Holy Spirit to more than just the Jews. And that he gives his Holy Spirit to people who have the same goods as Israel. To show them that they had the same thing that the, the, disciples, that the disciples got in Acts chapter 2. And why would he do this? Because though you might offer a distinction on who you offer the gospel to, God does not. God does not distinguish a difference between one person and the next. You may do that. You may be racist or bigoted or discriminate for no good reason about who you talk to and who you, who you share the gospel with, but God is not like that. And praise, 
his holy name that he's not like that. Because what if he just picked one group of people that he wanted to give the gospel to and that he wanted to save based on silliness and you weren't in the group? What would happen then? Well, you would be devastated. Devastated. God wanted to show his church that the non-Jews had the same thing as the Jews. The same spirit belongs to all his people. And if you don't have the spirit, you are not a part of his people. Peter says the same thing here in chapter 11, verse 17. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when, he believed, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? So because of this, we must not stand in God's way in welcoming those whom God has approved. Welcoming those that God has approved. So he points out that when they received the same gift from God, when they believed, so they both were just receivers of God's grace, which should make us ask the question, how can one equally unworthy sinner look to another equally unworthy, no good, rotten scoundrel like you and say, why did you get that gift? Why did you get that gift? Right? Speaking of parents and kids, like you love those kids, and when you take them to the birthday party, they don't really understand the concept of birthday party yet, so every present they think is theirs. Right? We're, we're, we're working on that with our kids. You go to else, someone else's birthday party, it's not your birthday party. Someone else gets a gift, let them open it. Right? Don't open their gifts. Like, Because when they were real little, and you're, you've seen this, maybe your kids have done this, every kid that goes to a birthday party thinks it's theirs. Right? Every one of them. And like some of the, it, and it, it can get bad too, right? Some of the real little kids have these smash cakes where they put their fist in it. Like, our kids have threatened to put their fist in somebody's cake, and we're like, it's not your first birthday party, back up. <laughs> right? But like, that is what happens in the church if all of us don't start from the basis that none of us deserve to be here. None of us. Can we go back down to that level and go, none of you deserve to be here, including me. None of you deserve the grace of God, including me. None of you deserve for Him to look your way. And if you fought for your rights, you'd be in hell tonight. Mere sinners owe nothing but a fierce hand. That's us. None of us deserve that. None of us deserve this gift. None of us. He asks the question here, who am I to stand in God's way? Who are you to stand in God's way? You don't. You can't. You must not. It's one thing for us as a church to reach out and spread the gospel as far as we can without any distinction to skin or sin or anything in between. And it's a complete other to welcome those people into the church. To bring them in. Do something with them. Get in their lives. Get in their business. Take care of them. 
meet their needs. We're not talking about glossing over someone's sin or lowering God's standards. We're not talking about that. That's not what Peter's talking about here. He just said, you know, the determining factor of who is a Christian? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the determining factor of who's a Christian and who's not a Christian. That's what it is. We're talking about welcoming those people who've turned from their sin, trusted in Christ, and God has approved them by the gift of the Holy Spirit in their life. What God has approved, who are you to reject or to make stumble in their way? And the answer is, not us. So after hearing this, here's the response of verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So sometimes repentance looks like silence, or should. You stop arguing because you're wrong, and that's what they do here. They're wrong. Instead of criticizing Peter about religious hoops that he didn't jump through and who he reached out to, they shut their mouths and gave God glory that he saved Gentiles. Gentiles. The second reaction ought to be the first reaction here, right? The first reaction was criticism of why did you connect with that person? And the second reaction was praise God that he connected with anybody, right? That ought to be the first reaction. That praise God that he granted repentance that leads to life to anybody. The very fact that they repented was a gift given to them by God. The verse we all know well, Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift of God. Repentance is a gift of God that you should have never opened. You should have never opened it. Because you are not in hell this very minute is grace from God. Because there's, you're, you're in a place that has walls in the church and not walls of flames. And praise the Lord that that's where we are right now instead of where we deserve to be. It's grace that you've been given. Grace that you've been saved. God gave these Gentiles a gift of repentance that leads to eternal life. Otherwise, they would have never turned to him. Not, no, not ever. That's how Peter said it back in verse 17. The same gift has been given to them. What's happening here in the Jerusalem church is that they wouldn't get on board initially with God giving that gift to somebody else. It'd be like you being aggravated that other people get to have birthdays, let alone like going to the party and wrestling for the gift, like that they get a birthday. Why do they get a birthday? Did you earn your own? Did you earn your own birthday? No, that's silliness. Last week we learned that they make leather out of dead animals. This week we learned that we didn't get our own, earn our own birthdays. It, knowledge is power, people. <laughs> it wasn't us. So why would we stand in the way of God giving gifts to other people? Because it's a gift from Him to them, not earned by us or anybody. He made this clear later on in verse 24. He said, many... It says great many people were added to the Lord. It's all him. It's all him. 
If the Lord is the one who gives every bit of our salvation as a gift, we can't throw a fit that someone else gets the gift. And Luke believes this to be very, very, very important. And why? How do, I, how do we know that? How do we know that he thinks this is really, really, really important? Because he t- tells the same story three times in two chapters. So really he wants us to get it that the gospel should go across cultures, across uh, groups, and he reiterates it here so that we know that we ought to receive those whom God saves no matter what he saves them from. No matter what he saves them from. How comfortable would you be if God moved you to another culture for the sake of the gospel? What if that happened? What if, what if that happened? Would you, would you be okay? Would you be okay with it? Or have you ruled out that and the concern for other cultures, other nations, other lands, other places, for selfish, unbiblical reasons. See, we can't be a church focused on ourselves. And the reason why we focus on ourselves is we like ourselves. We like our tea sweet instead of unsweet. We like the shows that we like. We like the preferences that we like. But if some of us are obedient to share the gospel to the poor, the outcast, and those that would be received or seen as the dregs of society, then all of us are going to be forced to come to terms with people that are different than us. And the question is, will we welcome them into the church? What do I mean, welcome them into the church? Well... You sitting there frowning in your seat, looking angry, is not what I mean. <laughs> right? I'm like, I'm not, before I tell you what it is, let me tell you what it ain't. What it ain't is you like being unapproachable, standoffish, like I'm going to whoop somebody over here in this pew if somebody steps up on me. Right? You're ready to fight. That ain't what it is. That ain't what it is. You see, as we said before, when a visitor comes, it's, a, uh, it's an urgency. It's an urgency. It's, it's, it's a, a drastic thing that we ought to... So who's on the welcoming committee in this church? Anybody know? All of us. All of us. That's who's on the welcoming committee. All of us. Because some of us might not be wanting to get into God, in God's way in welcoming these people into the church because we're just like standoffish over here in the corner, but no offense to the corners, right? We're standoffish here in the middle and no offense to the sides. But that is how we get in God's way It's being in, unapproachable. Unapproachable. Well, it's not like we're reaching out like that's, ooh, that's like elementary school. We're just talking about like preschool here. Like, one, don't be unapproachable. Don't be unapproachable. Mirror what that resting face looks like. Right? Mirror it. Look at it and go, hmm, do I have a resting angry face? <laughs> do, do, I, do I have a resting angry face? 
Do I look like I'm ready to fight at all times? You know? Like, we got we to gotta know, like some of you are looking at your spouse's resting angry face right now, and I love it. I love it. Praise <laughs> the Lord. Right? We, we don't want to get in God's way. Once these people are reached, we bring them in and let them know that they are part of a family that loves them. And that they received a gift that they didn't deserve. And guess what? I did too. You're unworthy. Okay, let me tell you about this unworthy stuff. Me too. Me too. All glory to him who sits on the throne, right? Because me, he shouldn't have ever looked my way. And he looked both of our ways. How great is that? He didn't, he didn't leave any of us alone. He reached out to us with the gospel. How good is that? Look what God did for both of us. That's how we ought to treat people that come into the church. Oh, you're here too. Ha! There shouldn't be anybody here. We should all be in hell. Luke believes this is really important. Because if God's going to give good gifts to dirty, rotten, no good, nasty sinners, then we should be the first person to realize that neither of us deserved any of those things. That we were not good enough and they were not good enough. So come on in to the not good enough. Welcome to the not good enough. We all are. We're all on the welcoming committee. It's all our jobs. What if you're an introvert? What do you do? Repent. <laughs> Repent. Of thinking it's okay that you have to be comfortable. Repent of thinking that you have to be comfortable. You're not shopping for a mattress here. I hate to break your heart. You're not shopping for a mattress. Don't just lay and go, oh, that one's a little hard. No, no, no. You have been given a gift. And, you, and with Spider-Man, Uncle Ben, right? With great power, or Paul and Timothy, whichever one you want. With great power comes great responsibility, my friends. And we have been given a gift that we have a responsibility to steward. And part of that stewarding is welcoming others who God gave that gift to, just like they did in the first 18 verses here. So we must not stand in God's way in welcoming those whom God has approved. And how do we do that? How do we really do that? Not just being nice when they come in and letting them know that we are happy they're here and letting them know that this is a place in which that they can come and receive from the Lord. And it's okay. We shouldn't just welcome those that God approved. We should disciple those that God has saved. Disciple those that God has saved. More than welcoming, right? That's the baseline of it. The baseline is not getting in God's way by welcoming them, discipling them. Luke switches gears here from Jerusalem to the church in Antioch. And these believers were the ones that were persecuted and scattered by Saul in the stoning of Stephen from Acts chapter 8. Antioch began reaching out to all Jews. It is now a congregation of both, of both. And in verse 20 says, they preached the Lord Jesus, and as a result, a great many who believed in Turn to the Lord. So the hand of God is on this church here in Antioch. 
So they send Barnabas there. Notice verse 23 in your Bible. When they came and saw the grace of God, he was, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. To a bunch of baby Christians, Barnabas tells them to remain faithful in the Lord. Right? So, verse 23, he saw the grace of God. You were given a gift. How do you welcome somebody? Well, you're glad. You see the grace of God in people's lives. That's what Barnabas does. Oh, look at the gift that God gave that person. Oh, look, look at his grace in this person's life. Praise his name for his grace in your life. He's glad, but he exhorted them. What, for, for, to what? To what? Keep going. Keep going. There's more, right? There's more than just coming. There's just more than just coming and being a part of a group. Remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast, pur- steadfast purpose. Yes, you were just added to Him. You didn't do it. You didn't do it. Let me tell you this about your salvation. You didn't do it. The only parts you played in your salvation, as Jonathan Edwards says, what you brought the sin that was necessary for you being saved. That's your part. They were added to the Lord. What about those who were added to the Lord? What should they do? What should you do? Remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. One of my favorite books, Don't Waste Your Life, uh, John Piper said, who's going to get in their face and give them something to live for? That's discipleship. That's what discipleship is. Remaining, telling, telling someone to continue, to keep going, stay faithful to the Lord, and give them something that matters for them to live for. How irresponsible would it be if someone came and dropped a baby off on the sidewalk? What kind of parent would that be if they dropped a baby off on a sidewalk and just left? In the Roman Empire, that used to happen all the time. They would drop babies, unwanted children off in the trash heaps in the Roman Empire. And the Christians would go and pick these children up, adopt them, and take them as their own. And that's what the Christians would do in Rome. That's what they would do. How irresponsible for us, though, in the church, for someone to become a Christian and for us to assume that they know everything they need to know or that they have everything that they have, they need. For us not to come to them, be a, a spiritual... You have not many fathers, right? To be a spiritual father, older brother, mother, sister to these people. How irresponsible to let them run wild in unrepentant rebellion, ignorance, foolishness, without something coming aside them and saying, this is the way you're walking. Keep going in it. Keep going. This is the way. Walk in it. So we cannot be people, once again, who just populate the room. We can't populate a room. We have to make disciples. That's the commission. Not gather crowds, not... Add people to a number. No. Make disciples, learners of other people. That's what we do. 
See, some people just need encouragement. Just keep going. To combine with what Luke wrote to the church of Jerusalem, you received the gift. Now remain faithful. We see this as progression we need to emulate. We preach Christ. He saves them. We encourage them to remain faithful. The amount of Christians grows. And Barnabas now is in trouble. What am I going to do? I'm a solo pastor here, and there's all these spiritual babies around sucking their thumb and wetting the carpet. What do I do? He goes and gets Saul from Tarsus, verse 26. They said they spent a whole year teaching the local church at Antioch. A multiplicity, or plethora, if you will, of elders making a great number of disciples within the context of the local church. What a pattern. Let's just stick with their pattern and do the same thing. You like it? It's God's, so you you better. You know what I mean? Like it's God's pattern for his church. And that is how we do it. The issue that they begin with in this chapter is that God was saving people who are different than the people of Israel. He gave the Holy Spirit to non-religious people. So what do we, how do we, so we teach them to remain faithful, to keep going. So are you a Jew or are you a Gentile? What background do you identify with? Like what, what other group are you a part of? Can we just like get married and hyphenate the last name of these people who come into the church? Can we just do that? Like are they Jewish Christians or Gentile Christians? Or can, can we do that kind of thing? Verse 26, look at the second half of it. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Christians. So follow, the, follow this with me. There's all of these people, some of them religious, some of them not religious. The gospel goes to them, saves them, and they come in and they don't hyphenate anything. And they don't keep any identity. That's big in our day, right? Like identity. We, we get to identify as whatever we want to identify as. However, that's not the pattern of the church. Because all these people come in and what banner do they fly? What flag do they raise? Verse 26, Christ. Christ, bring in all these people. We don't care. We don't care who they are or what they've done. But you know what? They don't get to keep their sin identity. They don't get to keep their sin identity. There's not like alcoholic Christians and gay Christians and, and all. No. They're, these people are either Christians or they're not. He is their identity. Becoming a Christian is not you keeping your sin identity and hyphenating it with Christ. You are under His banner. Or you're not at all. They're called Christians. Little Christs. So yeah, come on in. Bring everything you got. Bring everything you got. You're going to get rid of a lot of this. But just bring what you got. Let's bring it all in here. Okay, now... You're either in Christ or you're not. Figure it out. Let's figure this out together. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. I'm an angry Christian. No, you're not. No, you're not. I'm a thieving Christian. I'm a greedy Christian. No, you're not. You're either a Christian or you're not one. 
And you don't get to hyphenate Christ with your sin identity. You don't. You don't get to hyphenate Christ with your sin identity. You don't get to do that. Because becoming a Christian is a complete trade of who you used to be for who you are now in Christ. And he takes everything that you were, he redeems it and restores it, and it is now submitted to him. So everything you dealt with, everything you struggled with, that is no longer your identity. That's not who you are. Your struggles are not who you are. Your problems are not who you are. Oh, just in case, your successes are not who you are. How good you are is not who you are. Why? Because you received a gift. You received a gift. And your sin is submitted to Christ. Your good things, are, your, your triumphs are submitted to Christ. Because you realize that your triumphs were stained by your sin identity to start with anyway, right? So becoming a Christian is a complete swap of your identity. It is. It's a complete new. It's new. It's a new one. It's a new one. And let me tell you what's challenging about verse 26. It's, it's one of the most challenging verses in the Bible. And why do I say that? It was because people actually looked at their life and called them that. And they, they tried to make fun of them first in Antioch. Like that, oh, you're a Christian. You're a little Christ. A big fool. Little Christ. That's what you are. And then they just, they, they just, just somehow, right, it became a badge of honor. I am a Christian. I'm like a little Christ walking around here. They looked at my life and they made fun of me, identifying me with Jesus Christ of Nazareth, slain by sinners and risen on the third day, alive and victorious forevermore. And they're kind of calling me in the same circle as him. <laughs> How about that? How cool is that, that I would be associated with him? And you know what? They just, I didn't like, I didn't put it out like, I just lived. And that's what they called me. And that's convicting because if someone's watching your life right now, what are they going to call you? What are they going to say about you? That guy's a workaholic. He's a slave to his job. She's the biggest gossip I know. She should start her own newspaper. You see, this is an identity that they, they took but was forced upon them by the way they lived. And it's challenging and convicting for all of us that if so, someone from the outside called us something by the way that we lived, would it be Christian? Does anybody know we're a Christian by the way that we live? Does anybody know in the first place? Or if we have that resting angry face, they're like, ah, oh, he's a part-time MMA fighter. Great. He's clearly whooped five people today. <laughs> Just look at his face. He's whooped five of them. I ain't going to be number six, though. Uh, you know, like, if we lived a certain way, what would they call us? What would they call us? Because what we're doing is we're welcoming people into the church. We're discipling people into the church. And how are we doing it? Teaching them to remain faithful, keep going, and live like Christ so the watching world sees that and calls you that by how you live. That's what it is. 
That's what it is. We preach Christ. God saves them. They turn from their sin. They believe. We encourage them to remain faithful. They're intentionally discipled. As, like they don't even know that, they're an identity, that they had an identity swap. They didn't even know. Right? This, you have to be told these things. It's part of the discipleship process to know that whatever you came in here with, it's all under Christ. And Christ is above all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. They need to be discipled. They need to be taught. We don't just assume they know everything. It's like leaving a baby on a sidewalk. That's what that is. That's what it is. Barnabas and Saul spent a whole year teaching these disciples because teaching is that important. Notice it doesn't say that they spent an entire year entertaining or even doing good things like social justice. They were baby Christians who need to be taught how to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. But then in verse 27 through uh, the end of the chapter, in 27 through 30, they did just things. They were generous, right? There is outflow of this discipleship. They were generous. The church that might not have accepted them in the past in Jerusalem, they decided to give to Jerusalem. Antioch, the Gentiles, gave to the Jews that might not have accepted them in the first place. So I don't care if you accept me or not. I'm generous because you're in Christ. What an attitude that is. That's what the discipleship did to these people. So what is this discipleship? Definition from Robbie Galley, discipleship is intentionally equipping believers with the Word of God through accountable relationships that are empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to replicate faithful followers of Christ. When people become disciples, they learn what Jesus said and live out what Jesus did. That's what we ought to do to each other. We must not stand in God's way in welcoming these people into the church. We must not stand in God's way in discipling those that God has saved. So there's all kinds and all in this church, certainly. So if somebody, if you became a Christian and you came in and somebody assumed that you knew everything and you feel behind the, the curve and behind the times and I don't really understand certain things, you need to come get me afterwards and we will talk about Partnering you with somebody in this church, a mature believer, can help you. Because that's what we do for each other. We not only just welcome you, yeah, come on into the family, and I'm going to teach you how to follow Jesus like somebody taught me. That's what we ought to do. So if that's you, you need to come get me after the service, and we re need to respond to this passage in that way. And what's, what's all this deal of welcoming and training up and like, what kind of gym is this? Well, see, what happens is that we were born naughty by nature. By nature, we were children, the children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We, we did how we saw fit. We did whatever we wanted to do. And as a result, we rebelled against God and we were not His children. I don't care what the soap opera tells you. We are not all God's children. 
But what happened was that God became a man. Instead of wiping us out in our rebellion, God became a man in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life and died on the cross for our sins, victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and everyone in between. And now He commands you to turn from your sin and trust solely in the person of the Lord Jesus. You see, you, who are not a part of God's family, can be welcomed into God's family by the death of His Son in your place. That's the good news of the gospel is that God welcomes sinners just like you and you don't have to deserve it because you couldn't in the first place. So if you're hearing this gospel, you need to respond. I'm going to be over to the side. You can come get me as well. If you're a Christian, you need to join the welcoming committee in this church. Get out of your pew. Get out of your comfort zone and target people that you don't know and new people that you've never seen and make this place a place that they feel like family and welcomed into. And if you're somebody who needs to be discipled, you need to come get me and to say, I need somebody to, to help me walk this out. I'm struggling with this. If you need to be taught, you need to come get me as well. But we all need to play a part in that today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your scriptures and how good you are to us to let us know them, to welcome us into your family when we didn't belong, and to invite us into a relationship with you. Thank you for saving us. We didn't deserve it. You, you alone are worthy. Lord, please uh, make up, raise up welcomers and disciplers in this church that uh, this place may be faithful to you and have steadfast purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.